So um, turn to John 16. All right, so there's two things you can talk about in a Baptist church to get everybody feeling a little bit of funny. Uh, one of those would be money. If you talk about money, people get funny. All right, that's that's the whole phrase, right? There's this idea that you got to be careful talking about it. You know, now Baptists do good jobs at it. That's how they help big buildings and all kinds of stuff, and they do campaigns and there's all that. But there's a there's a classy way to talk about the money, and you got to be careful talking about money because people get funny. This sermon's nothing about money. See, I was just trying to see if I could drive everybody's pulse up a little bit. They're like, he's going to talk about giving today, honey. He's talking, you know, all that. No, I'm not doing that. There's a second thing you can talk about in a Baptist church to make people feel a little weird. And it's probably just as good as the money one. The Holy Spirit. We talk about what? We talking about who? We believe in the Father, the Son, and holy ingenuity. You know how you feel the glory of God? Get a fog machine. Shekinah glory. We, get a, we, we black out these windows. We turn out the lights in the room. Winston maybe comes from an elevated platform, you know, out of there. And he's all like, make way for the glory of God. And Ron's hitting like a kick, you know. And we, we get it going. I mean, we can engineer that, right? It's holy ingenuity. That's not the faith. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Exactly, the Holy Spirit. I remember hanging out with one lady who has my heart. I'm not going to talk about her too much because I'm going to start crying, but her name is Miss Lee, and she is, uh, I'm going to be doing her funeral. She's like 98, maybe, pegging around 98, uh, but she is a sweetheart. When I first came to be a youth pastor at Fianna Hills Baptist Church, church used to be here, she was a, a wid- widowed at that point, and was already older at that point, and the uh, first thing she said was, and I was single, I'm 19 years old, I'm single, ready to mingle, you know, and uh, I was at IHOP for this little uh, breakfast with the pastor, and she looks across the table and she goes, are you into older women? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious, you know, and I, was, and I said, hey, I'm always good for a sugar mama, you know, and so and there was this moment, then a few uh, a few months later there's a Halloween and she gets a mail ordered bride dress literally ordered gets in that mail ordered bride dress and shows up and my father-in-law who wasn't my father-in-law at that point right he's just my boss uh, he comes out to the parking lot I'm out there talking to people about Jesus in the parking lot because Halloween appears bananas and I'm cheering the gospel doing different things and all of a sudden I get a tap on my shoulder they had staged a wedding y'all he was he was standing there with his Bible open and then she had this mail ordered bride dress with stamps and I turned around and she grabbed my hands and she's like I do and somebody took a picture of it and I don't know where that photo is I got to dig it up before we ever do her funeral but but the thing I love about Miss Lee is she was an encourager she had heard faithful men of God preach gosh you've been a believer longer than I've been alive times a number right like you've you've done this and she said you know the thing I like about what you do you do this better than some preachers I've listened to. And I was like, I don't know if she's just saying that because that's what they do when they get that gift of encouragement. But she said, you talk about the Holy Spirit more than Baptist preachers usually do. And I think that this is important for us to understand. We are called to a spiritual faith 
It's not going to make always natural common sense. And let me just say this. It won't make natural common sense. If you've grown around church long enough and you've been around these beliefs and they feel normalized to you, get outside the Bible Belt. They're not normalized. You've been cocooned. This is weird stuff. A man conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin woman is weird. A man claiming to be sent and being eternal God the Son made flesh is weird. Him being crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day is weird. Him ascending to the Father and saying He'll come again, but until He comes again and His Spirit will be sent down, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, coming down, filling and indwelling every believer is weird. Don't be scared of that. Don't normalize to what you feel comfortable with and ostracize the spiritual supernatural power that worked through Jesus. That wants to work through you and me. Don't put him away. That's why I want you to hear out of this text. So let's get weird. John 16. I want to read back in verses 1 through 5 as a review. Um, uh, verses 1 through 4 as a review. And it will actually do a good job at reviewing. And then we'll pick into 5. We'll go through to 15. All right. Verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You might underline that in your Bible. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of the truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Pretty powerful stuff. You know what you hear? You hear a man who knows his time is short. Talking. Telling them. Explaining to them. There's some benefit of me leaving. Like just think about this for a second. Jesus is God in flesh. He is, has no sin within Him. We learn um, that our DNA breaks down. That, that that's why we lead to a day of physical, earthly, experiential uh, reality of death. If you could reverse that, you could live forever. 
Like God has his copyright on that stuff though. Right? Jesus is never going to die. Wouldn't it have been better for him just to stick around and like have like temple headquarters, you know, and like have a YouTube channel? You know, I mean, I don't know, like blog every day, you know, like just the word of the day straight from Jesus. Wouldn't that have been a good idea? I mean, think about it. I mean, no, Jesus says, no, this is better that I am leaving. And none of you ask me, where are you going? That's a little interesting to me. Because if you read it at first and you think about this in John 13, 36, Peter asked that question earlier. Um, also, Thomas asked a similar question in John chapter 14, verse 5, if you remember. So obviously, Jesus must mean <clears throat> not only the words of the question, but the heart of the question. And let me put it this way. Their previous asking was in the sense of what will happen to us when you leave. Not in the sense of Jesus meant here of what will happen to you when you leave. I want you to think about this. They were concerned about some things, but here's what they're concerned. They're concerned because they are thinking about what is going to happen to us. Not, oh, you're leaving? What's that going to mean for you? There's no thought about Jesus. Leon Morris comments, he says, Peter was diverted immediately when he asked his question. He made no real attempt to find out where Jesus was going. He had been concerned with the thought of parting with Jesus, not with the mas that of the master's destination. He had in mind only the consequences for himself and his fellows. He wasn't thinking about Jesus. He was thinking about himself. Jesus is essentially saying this, none of you have really even asked me where I'm going. Like you, you brought it up and then we quickly got off of it. You guys are, con you, what you're doing is you're worrying about what you're going to experience and no one's even asking what I'm doing, about to deal with. This is interesting to me because he says, I've said these things and sorrow has filled your heart. He's actually excusing their lack of interest in his fate. Knowing that, knowing their sorrow, they had sorrow in the moment. Jesus actually knows that their future is bright. And he says some things to them. But I also want to tell you this the disciples could not only see the sorrow of Jesus, could only see the sorrow of Jesus leaving. But Jesus' departure is an essential step here. He, this has to happen. And Jesus knows. This has to happen. That's why when he's in the garden, which we don't read about uh, in the Gospel of John, there's the Garden of Gethsemane that the Synoptics Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, using some Bible lingo that you can learn on Wednesday nights when we start our deal. So I'm just planting all those things there. But in the Synoptic Gospels, um, they tell the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is so filled with agony in his spirit and his physical body, he is sweating blood, which we now know is a medical possibility for anyone who's experiencing great moments of stress and agony. And Jesus is still saying, not my will, but your will. He knew it was God's will that these things happened. And so Jesus says in the text here, it's to your advantage that I go away. That had to be difficult for them to believe. When a loved one's, even in our day and time, near death, and we often know that they've suffered a long time. I have, as a pastor, I've watched so many people get comfort 
by realizing it's just better that they go ahead and pass on. They won't be hurting anymore. They won't be sorrowful. But you know what you never hear in the living room? It'll be better for us. Because they're sitting there thinking they just don't want that person to hurt. But listen to what Jesus has said. He is saying this, that it wasn't for His advantage, it was to your advantage that I go away. I'm not going away because I'm going to suffer and be defeated. I'll resurrect from the dead. Death has no hold on me. I will come back again from that. I don't you know, I'm not going away because I need to escape sorrow and pain and hurt. I'm going away victorious. And I'm also going away for your advantage. Because then the Holy Spirit's going to come. I have made that possible. If the disciples really understood what was about to happen in the next several events that are going to play out over the next several hours, I think it would even be more difficult for them to figure out how this is to their advantage. That's why they do wander. Like, think about this. Is it to their advantage that Jesus is arrested? I don't know. That don't feel like a good idea. Is it to your advantage that Jesus' ministry of teaching and miracles are stopped? I don't think so. Is it to their advantage that Jesus is beaten? No. Is it to their advantage that He's mocked? Sentenced for execution. Nailed to a cross. Dying in the company of notorious criminals. Exchanged to before He's killed on the cross for a murderer named Barabbas, a known murderer. They say, give us Barabbas. We don't want him. And then his lifeless body in a cold grave? How is this my advantage? They don't know all these things. And Jesus knows these things. And he says, guys, I've got to do this. And you're not even asking about me. And I get it because you're filled with despair. Nevertheless, I love the word nevertheless. It's a good Bible word. Meaning despite all of that. Jesus knew they were filled with sorrow because of what He told them. But despite of all of that, He wanted them to know it was to their advantage. Aren't you glad that God has this ability to say things like, nevertheless? Lee, you haven't been really looking to me and walking with me intimately. But nevertheless, I am still doing a work in what you are doing. That's possible because of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, that's not possible. And we need to understand these things. We need to walk in these things. One guy uh, comments, he says this, that the dispensation of the Spirit is a more blessed manifestation of God than was even the bodily presence of the risen Savior. Think about that. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is such a big deal that it's actually better that I don't stick around and that He comes. Because we talked about this. I kind of argue like, wow, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool, you know, to think about this. I mean, like they had to think, man, it would be neat if He would just stick around. But He's telling them this and He says these things. But not only does He say these things, He says, I tell you the truth. Why does He... I mean, Jesus didn't say that because he lied most of the time, right? You know, guys, I know I, I, know I tease you a lot, 
Uh, you know, I know I fib a little bit, but I'm telling you the truth here. Well, that's not what he's doing. So he says, I tell you the truth. He said it because he wanted them to make a concerted effort to trust him at this point. Can I just tell you what the Lord wants to tell you? I think he would lean in and through his written word has done this continually for us. You may be going through some tough things. You may be filled with sorrow. You may be going through really hard things. But nevertheless, God knows these things. He is with you and He tells you the truth to turn and to continually seek Him and trust Him. To turn to Him and seek His peace. He says to these guys earlier, remember He said, um, My joy I give to you, not as the world gives to you, but as, as I give to you. He says, in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. I've come that in those things, you'll still have peace. This is a powerful thing for us to understand. He knew it would be difficult for to believe. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. He had a plan. They couldn't understand it. But 2,000 years, we look back and we see Jesus went away. He sent the Spirit of God which has been a broader and more effective ministry to the entire world. One guy comments on this. He says, The withdrawal of the bodily presence of Christ was an essential condition for His universal spiritual presence. Jesus says, I'm going to send Him to you. I'm going to send Him to you. He promised to send the Holy Spirit to His disciples when He departed and that this would make it to their advantage I mean, mean, see it this way, like Jesus meant that the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit would actually be better before believers than the physical bodily presence of Jesus. How big of a deal is the Holy Spirit? A big deal. How many people go, man, you know, I just wish Jesus would come back and all these things. You are lonely and you are spiritually lonely because you're trying to do one step here and you only have one movement when the, the Bible says that God has sent the Holy Spirit so that we would have the fullness of Christ working through the body of Christ. And we're walking around like Mo with a gimpy leg. I just wish I could get Jesus here. He is here. I get tired of Eeyore Christianity. I'm tired of people, you know, well, you know, man, isn't this, isn't this awesome what the Lord's doing? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you, remember, you remember Winnie the Pooh? Somebody, some of y'all are like, I'm a millennial, okay? Y'all gave me cereal and put me in front of a TV and for hours, spiritually, I had to watch Eeyore pour into my life. Isn't it a great day? I don't know. There's clouds in the sky. Can't find my tail. I don't know. I'm going to tell you what, Eeyore has somehow crawled up in the American West and joined the church. I'm telling you guys, the answer to this is to walk in the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit of God, to understand that there is a difference between indwelling and filling. God, I have all of God. I can never get more of that. But He does not always have me. He doesn't always have all of Lee. 
So I have to bend to that. I have to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command out of Ephesians. Like This is something that I consciously have to make a concerted effort. There's your word. I put it in the slide earlier. A concerted effort. If I think, well, I'm just going to wake up and see what happens on tomorrow. It, listen, do you like running every red light you go to? Like, who does that? And if you do, we need to talk. You know, I stop. I mean, to me, I'm like, oh, you know what? I should probably stop because something's going to come this way. Let me tell you something. If you don't yield to the Spirit of God every day, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit again and again. I was in Eureka Springs Thursday and Friday and uh, took some students and some other families in the neighborhood with me, uh, being missional. Go to our Missional Essentials podcast. You can learn more about that if you didn't get to hear all that. That'd give you 13 weeks of something, all right? But as I did this and I went and took to my neighbors and did some things, um, we pulled into Eureka because we went to this arcade in Fayetteville. You pay like $5. You get all the time you want till they close to play these arcades. It was really cool. We stayed there way too long playing arcade games. I became very grumpy. My wife had abandoned me with the neighbor's wife, and they went to a coffee shop, and I had all these kids going, Dad, 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 all my little ones. And I was like, oh, I love you so much. Sit on the couch, right? Like, like Mom will be here in a minute. Like, we're not moving anymore. No, you know, that was that moment. I sent a text. We need to go. We get to Eureka. It's like 11.30 at night. We're rolling up into Eureka Springs. And I'm driving. I had to go drop a trailer with all these kayaks. And I'm driving. And if you ever drove in Eureka Springs, like that town was not planning on ever having anyone there but residents, right? And so the streets are like this. And so I'm driving through dark at night. And I have seen not one but two armadillos. And I was like, Andy, get out and slap it on the back. No, I'm just kidding. I did say it, but he didn't do it. But did you know they jump in the air and then they fall? It's really funny. Anyways, I was like, get out, get out and do it. And I was like, no, I'm just kidding. Stay in the van. But I'm like, okay, he goes by. The second guy starts walking in front of my van. And I'm like, oh, man. So I stop. I don't want to kill you, buddy. And I'm like, I give him a pause. All right, I'll proceed forward. Ooh, boom, I stepped right on him. One-ton van crushed him felt bad. I'm going to tell you right now, so many people are just wandering through life, never engaging the Holy Spirit. And the only thing you're going to do is get run over. You have got to get a grip. And getting a grip means getting alone with the Lord and His Spirit. I've been reading the Bible. I just don't get anything out of it. Do, when you engage the Scriptures, do you really say, you stop and pray, God, I don't want to just read this. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the truth of this Word to me? Would you speak into my soul? And would you give me something that you have for me to know today from this text? I'm telling you, when you start to pray, you'll find you don't read this book. This book reads you. And so, Jesus says it is better... Because Jesus could be with every believer all the time. Think about that for a second. Every believer all the time. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Do you know how that's possible? Because anybody in here, believer, raise your hand if you're a believer. Okay, there's more than two or three of us, and we've gathered. 
Jesus? Jesus? Is Jesus in here? But he's not. Unless we're going to count that uh, Jesse was Jesus at VBS. Did a good job at that. Yes, he is by his spirit. You understand if Jesus stuck around and created temple headquarters, there would be people who get to go there and they would think, wow, this is incredible. I literally had, because there's so many of us, 30 seconds with Jesus. It was awesome. Like I got to go up there and it was like Santa Claus. There was like a little short guy and he took a picture of me. I got to sit by him. I got to take a selfie. Everybody's going to get one Insta Jesus moment right? One instant Jesus moment. Get up there. This is neat, Jesus. Always wanted to meet you. Boom, click. All right, we're out of here. And then there's so many billions of people who never feel his presence because he's only there bodily. Now, do you see why he would say, it's better that I leave? Because I will be in you and with you to the very end of the age. It's also better, practically, because you can have a more trusting relationship with Jesus or with God. Paul writes this, he says, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him thus no longer. God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. If Jesus was here bodily, you would have a great temptation to walk by sight, not by faith. And I'm going to tell you, we have to walk by faith. Before Jesus, the, when he left, the disciples are confused, they're thick-headed, they're afraid, they're selfish, and they're self-centered. After Jesus leaves and the helper shows up, they become wise, surrendered, bold, and giving. There are these guys who are like, hey, we need y'all to knock it off or we're going to kill you. And they look at them and they're like, hey, if you think it's better that we would obey you as man more than God, you're crazy because we're going to follow God all the way. You just do what you do, homie. Do what you do. That's Lee's version. Do what you do, homie. And you know what they do? They walk away and they go, these guys, they took note. These men are unlearned, but they had met with Jesus. In other words, something's happened. So eight verses 8 through 11 in this text, begin to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. He will convict the sin of the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is an easy way to think about this. Sin, when we talk about He will convict the world of sin, sin is the truth about man. Uh, righteousness is the truth about who God is. And judgment is the inevitable combination of those two truths. Of who God is and how He relates to man. And so if we understand the truth about who God is, here's the simple way of explaining the gospel in four easy quadrants. If you want to draw you a tic-tac-toe, actually not a tic-tac-toe, just a plus symbol will do. You draw a line and another line. There are four quadrants that are possible every time when we understand the gospel. Number one, God is holy. God is holy. Number two, you are not Number three, Christ has acted. Number four, you must respond. Those are, you could tell me, we could do, I mean, there's like bazillion ways to share Jesus with people. 
But every one of those are going to contain those four components. God is holy. We are not. That's a problem. We can never have a relationship back with Him without something fixing this. Christ has acted. You have to respond with whether you're going to trust Him or not. How is all this going to happen? The Holy Spirit is here to convict. And what does the word convict even mean? The Greek word would mean much more than we have in our English language. It has a broader meaning, especially if we only understand convicting in the sense of legal, uh, legal conviction, like in the English word of that. The Bible, it means to expose, to refute, to convince, to, to move into your life and to tell you this is not the way to live. There is a better way to live. And who does that? The Holy Spirit. How do you know an example of this? Um, a good example um, is in Isaiah 6. I don't have this on the PowerPoint. It's free of charge. Um, but it was something the Lord put on my mind. Before the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, people might say, you know, this is when I usually know I'm about to share somebody the gospel with somebody that needs the gospel. I will go, you know, tell me about it. And they say this phrase, I'm a good person. I just smile. Thank you for telling me that phrase. Now I know where I need to go here. Because believers, we don't have, our, all our testimonies are similar here today. If you're truly in Christ, there was a time when you realized you're really not a good person. You'll realize that none of us outside of God moving into our life are really that good of people. And you'll start to realize these things. Isaiah 6, here's what happens. He walks into the temple um, and, and, then, and then he sees the glory of God in a powerful way in the temple. And he says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him in this vision. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, I said, woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When the Holy Spirit moves in, you get this understanding of how unholy you really are and how much of an in need of desperation, of redemption and salvation you really, really have. And so we see people that change the conversation. Uh, let me just say another thing I want to point out. It's a serious thing to resist and reject this work of the Holy Spirit. If you feel like God is showing you Himself to you through the preaching of the Word, through uh, people that you're meeting, through various circumstances that surround your life right now, and you just feel like God is revealing more and more of Himself to you, and you to resist this and not lean into this is a scary thing for you. It's a serious thing for you. You need to be careful lest your heart becomes hardened. And you never come into the obedience and the knowledge of Him. One writer uh, in Great Britain, uh, actually he was a high-ranking army officer, in 1860 writes this. Uh, he's, it's describing the conviction of sin in his Scottish town. He says, those of you who are ease have little conception of how terrifying a sight it is when the Holy Spirit is pleased to open a man's eyes to see the real state of the heart. Men who were 
thought to be and thought of themselves to be good religious people have been led to search into the foundation upon which they are resting they, and have found all rotten and they were self-satisfied resting on their own goodness and not upon Christ. Many have turned from open sin to lives of holiness, some weeping for joy for sin's forgiveness. We need a work of the Holy Spirit like that. Something that was in my heart this morning. Being thankful for Rick. Rick Burke has been up here uh, during the week and going through the clutter and the mess that remains within this place. It abounds. There's 37,000 square foot. We never really properly organize things. You know the phrase, everything has a place and should be in its place. Like that doesn't happen here. And, and, and he's been doing that and welcomes people that want to come up and help him. He's got a, a good handle of that. But as I was praying right here this morning, something the Holy Spirit told me right there in this moment, and I, I whispered it back to the Father, was this. We can clean all the rooms in this church. But if we don't clean our hearts, God cannot move in this body. And I'm telling you, we do need to clean the rooms. But I need you to hear me today. You need to clean out the, the conscience of who you are in Christ. And make sure that you are not rejecting and resisting the Holy Spirit in any way. Because it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by, by His Spirit, says the Lord Almighty, that He will do these things. And so often we think, well, we'll just get, you know, so-and-so here and so-and-so, and this church will be growing. Growing in what way? Growing in numbers? That can rise and fall. That has, it has some bearing about how things are going. But I'm going to tell you, the fruit that remains is people who really get this walking with God in the Spirit thing. Because boom, something can happen. So he's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me, he says. It's unbelief, the rejection of Jesus, that which ultimately proves you to be guilty. You're like, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Because they never believed and trusted on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's enough. It's enough. How unloving is that? I think your understanding would be skewed if you think that's unloving. Because part of love is also being just. And not only has He moved in and loved us when we did not first love Him, He has continued to be faithful to seek Him and to reveal Himself to us and through all the things of the written Word, through dreams and visions for people that don't have written words, uh, all these things that we see going on, this is, this is God moving in and demonstrating His love and knowing that the Holy Spirit moving and drawing people to Him. And if we reject the only thing that makes it way out of this, which is Jesus, there is nothing that remains for us. And then he says, he'll convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father. In other words, that the Holy Spirit shows the world the unrighteous, or the righteousness of Jesus, I'm sorry, and its own unrighteousness. He shows the world the righteousness of Jesus, and he shows his unrighteousness of the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit does tell us things that were in error, things that are wrong. The Holy Spirit reveals evil. Uh, the Holy Spirit does those things. He also shows what is right, what is good, what God is like. 
And He puts in the believer the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Many people today, even secular people, take the righteousness of Jesus as a given, yet during His life, Jesus is reviled as an imposter, as a demon-possessed guy, as a wicked destroyer of the law. He's called a glutton because He goes to parties. Right? He's, a, he's called a drunk. He's called illegitimate. And the Holy Spirit here persuades and, and moves in and says, no, He is the righteousness of God. That's who He is. One guy says, whereas righteousness had previously been defined by precepts, it now has been revealed in the incarnate Son who exemplified it perfectly in all His relationships. In other words, in the Old Testament, they said things like, do not kill Right? Uh, Jesus says, hey, I know you've heard that, but I tell you, if you even look at someone with hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. He, he changes, and, and not only does he, he doesn't nullify it, he fulfills it, and he raises the bar. He, he says, the Old Testament, do not commit adultery. Well, long as I don't sleep with another woman that's not my wife, I haven't committed that, that act of adultery. Jesus says, though, Hey, that is a good and that is important. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery within your heart. And I'm telling you this. In other words, he's saying this. We're not just going to have a real right relationship with me based on precepts. We're going to have a real right relationship with me because you actually know me and experience me through the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to redeem and help you recover what true righteousness really looks like. And it's not a bunch of list of do's and don'ts. It is a me loving you, walking with you, working in you, and you working out what I'm telling you that I'm working in you, and you grow. Oh, it didn't work. Amen. Thank you, Button. So normally, you do realize, normally, conviction is followed by judgment. You go to a courtroom, and when there's a conviction that's been, this is the judgment. The judge speaks. But when the Holy Spirit works, there's an in-between step where there's a revelation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which can satisfy the judgment for you as a convicted person. And if you would turn and trust the finished work of the cross of Christ, you can have forgiveness. And you will not fall into judgment. That's awesome. That's loving. It's almost like we should be talking to people about how this works. It's almost like we should tell the whole world that there's an opportunity for them that they stand condemned in judgment already unless they turn and trust Christ and that they could turn and trust Christ and be made right with God and experience a walk with God and experience His joy, His peace, His goodness, His love, His faithfulness. It's almost like the whole world should hear this message. Do you get it? It's to your advantage that I send the Holy Spirit. And yet we think, eh, I'll figure it out. 
Why don't you keep coming around for a little bit or something? I don't know. I'm sure it'll make sense later on, preacher. Oh, you aren't hearing me. You will not figure this out on your own. Listen to me. Listen to these verses. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. He says this about the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Can I read that to you again? Can I give this to you as an invitation? What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. I pondered that verse when I first became a believer. The Holy Spirit divinely, divinely placed me in this neighborhood. I had lived in this neighborhood uh, on 30th Street, South 30th Street. My parents lived there until uh, my dad passed and I moved my mom just recently out of there into assisted living. And loved that neighborhood. It meant a lot to me. It was really hard to leave that house. Um, well, there was a lot of things that, that, that meant a lot to me. One of those was I had lived there since I was in the sixth grade. And in the ninth grade, I came to faith in Christ because I went to church with a girl that I thought was cute. And then I heard about how I really needed to understand I should trust Jesus not my own good doings. And I'm not that good of a person like I thought it was. And in that moment, I come to faith in Christ. I'm on a mission trip three months later. And I'm in a van. I, I just came to know the Lord. We went down to some orphanage in Texas. And I remember riding in the van with one of my leaders that was an adult. And I said, hey, Tim, where do you live? He's the guy I talk about, had the cross shaved in the back of his head. Where do you live? He goes, I live on Osage Street. I said, shut up. And he goes, I'm sorry. And I was like, you know, I'm still rough around the edges. I was like, where? You Osage? And he's like, yeah. Come to find out, this guy has lived a baseball throw away from my house. 
since I've been living there. And he becomes the first man that pours into my life. Shortly thereafter, there was a guy who I don't even remember how I got connected to. Um, and he is a, uh, he worked for Channel 5 News and he was a, a, a news anchor. Um, and he had a home Bible study uh, that he partnered with, with this, this ministry that did ministry on school campuses. And I got to go over to his house and we went through this Bible study called The Mind of Christ. It's a classic old Bible study. And it takes you through what does that phrase really even mean? It takes a long, long time to tell you the deep thoughts of this. And it instrumentally changed my life. I'm 38 years old. And I'm going back and I'm telling you, that happened in the summer between my ninth and 10th grade year. It changed my life. And then, somewhere in here, probably more of my senior year, right, that I take you to Van Buren. Is that my senior year? Yeah, your senior year. I'm out of high school, but in my high school years, I got connected to it, yet the Lord divinely introduced me to some of the other guys, and they weren't Baptist, and I kind of liked it. And they had a home study, and I hung out with them, and that's where all of a sudden I started hearing about Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. But I was a good Baptist. I had probably 80 scriptures memorized at this time. I had the Word hidden in my heart. And I could spout the Word of God so quickly with everybody in that room. And they loved it. I loved them. They loved me. We just, man, it was awesome. I remember started kind of hanging out with Sarah, uh, thinking, wow, she's really something. I wish she'd think I was. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she told her dad not to hire me because she's a jerk. But, um, you know, I'm going to try to win her over, which, by the way, done, signed, sealed, delivered. She can't leave me. I got five kids with her. It'd be a mess. And I bring her to this, this, this living room. I said, now, nah, I need to prep you for what we're going to. This group has got a great spirit. But you need to know that they are some Holy Spirit people. And we got in that living room. And we would worship. And we would read books together. And then we would just pray together. And when I left, I was like, what do you think? <laughs> And she was like a 1611 King James fundamental girl, you know, and I just brought her to like the other world, right? And, and, and I was like, what did you think? And she said, that was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, she could just tell she was, she was breathing. And... But that, that, that guy, I can't even remember his name, but I can remember the couple and I can remember their spirit. It was big monumental in my life. But you know what's threading all of that? The Holy Spirit. He's threatening all of this. I remember the first time I decided to stop cussing. Habitually. I'm not going to say I don't. I'm not going to say you can't get me to say a dirty word. But I don't habitually have a bad, mad mouth. I was sitting in this apartment with my buddy Willie. And I was like, hey man, you got anything with this? And he was like, no. And I was like, man, F that. And then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit just sat down right beside me and said, son, I have so much more for you than this. And it was in that moment, it crawled all over me. And I was like, dude, I think I'm going to stop cussing. I don't like it. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. And you go, that's how you did that? Yes, I did. Remember the first time I decided I was going to stop 
being around guys smoking pot, doing drugs. I was like, hey man, can I ask you a question? I'm a believer, and I'm still hanging out with them. <laughs> I'm a believer. And I was sitting there, I was like, can I ask you a question, man? He's like, yeah, man, what's up? I was like, man, what do you think about Jesus? And then I didn't like his answer. I told him, well, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, man, if you're not going to believe this, I really don't know if we can really hang out much. And that was over. He goes, was it really that easy? Yes, it was. But you know what the threat of that is? The Holy Spirit. You walk with me, Lee. I'll guide you, buddy. Lee, you're going to need to experience a few hurts. You're going to need to walk through some, some... Life is going to hit you. But I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. I will redeem you from the pit of despair. I will guide you. We will have the incredible highs and we will have incredible lows, buddy. But I am with you. You know what? I want to see Jesus bodily. But I experience him daily. So as to almost not even need to see him bodily. Like, like if there's a line, other people can have the instant Jesus. I have the real Jesus. He has taken a broken man and he has healed me from the innermost parts of who I am. And I'm telling you, when you get the real thing, these words, when he says it's to your advantage, you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you came Thank you that you died. Thank you that you resurrected and you ascended and you said you will prepare a place, but until then, you have sent the helper and it is all the help that I need and all I need to do is continue to proclaim it and live it and walk in it and one day you're going to come and you're going to restore all things, all things unto you and until then, you just want me to abide in you. You just want me to stick with you. You just want me to be a branch to a vine. That's all you're asking me to do is just hang. Hang with God, man. But I'm going to tell you what won't, what, won't, what won't give you what I got. Church in your way to the end. It won't. It's not. This is We come here because the Lord told us to. He told us to gather until He comes. He told us to, to come to the Lord's table and, and, and to remember Him. And then when, every time we come to the table, we proclaim the Lord's death. That's an ordinance of the church. He told us to baptize everybody uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit and understand the redemption of the old being gone, the new coming. He, he, he told us to do that. We do that. He, he told us to, to stay together. Right? He told us to stay in line with the Spirit of God. He told us to do these things, and you can't do them on your own. You can go, like, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You've got to go to church to be a good one. Someone just needs to tell you like it is. Good luck. Take about six months off and come back. Tell me how that works. It'll be a hell. But we don't go to church to be right with God one day at the end. We gather because we are in the body of Christ. And we are sent to a lost world to tell them how they can have hope. 
and that they can gather in this fellowship. This is a locker room today. I'm telling you, when you walk out of here, you better pad up. We're going to line up. We're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to be calling plays. And you're going to have to listen. Or you're going to be sitting there backpedaling when you should have been charging. I'm like, Andy, how's football going? Some days he's like, it was good. Other days he's like, eh, it wasn't that good today. And I was like, why? And he's like, because I'm driving my feet back and they wanted me to go forward. Or then I'm going forward. They want me to drive my feet back. I'm just kind of, sometimes I'm confused. And I'm like, I'm sorry, son. I'm your dad. I gave you dyslexia. It's, just, it's my fault, right? Like, yeah, there's, just, there's, that, there's those moments where we, we talk and we enjoy. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit tells you to wait, do you wait? If He tells you to sprint, do you sprint? If you feel confused and you're like, oh, I don't know who's calling the plays, it's probably you. And the Holy Spirit is the offensive coordinator. He... He is leading things. I don't know about you, but I just, I just, I need that. Let me tell you something. If you, you are here today, it is respectable that you're here at church. But I'm asking you, have you ever called on the Lord and told Him that you are thankful for His love and you want to experience His love? And you want to know Him and Him to know you and you would know Him as your Lord and Savior and that you would this day forward seek to follow Him and trust Him and walk in His forgiveness and His love. Have you ever done that? And if you haven't, listen to me, you're churching your way up and it won't work. It's like when you try to lift a heavy weight and you realize you're going to try to think you can just fling it up. And I've learned, no, no, no. There's a form here. And if you don't do the form, that weight ain't going up. Listen to me. You will try to muscle up everything you can and you just can't do it. And if you could, he died for nothing on a cross. But he knew you couldn't do it. So he died on the cross and he resurrected from the grave. And you can come in and you could die so that you can live. Come to the end of yourself, my man, and then walk in a new man. Let's pray together.